Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We're going to be in Acts, Acts, oh Lord. We're going to be in Philippians. I don't know why I said Acts. I was just on my brain. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Uh, I want to thank Drew for teaching last week while I was away. Um, I've been to the Philippines and back in that time uh, and have missed you all greatly. Um, if you kind of think about what we've done the last, since we started. So for the last month of this class, we have focused on reading the entire book multiple times. We have identified items of note, things like themes, repeated words, repeated phrases, repeated concepts. We've kind of built our own intro to understand who's the author, what was he going through at the time, um, understand the audience, what they were going through as they received the book, um, and also to really understand the relationship between Paul and Timothy, the authors, and uh, the audience uh, in Philippi. And then last week, Drew works with you all to write uh, summaries, your words for how you would summarize in a sentence or two what the book is about. And then this week, we're going to start really getting into the sections of the book uh, a bit more in depth. Before we do that, I did want to uh, ask some folks, if you have your summaries from last week, I'd love to, I didn't hear all of those. I'd love to hear those uh, and spend a moment or two uh, talking about that. So if you have your notes from last week, it'd be good to reference those. If you don't, you might want to jot it down again if you can think about it. Uh, and we'll just, we'll take a couple minutes to talk about your summaries of the book. Julie, you got yours handy? Well, Karen's teaching and Allison isn't here. So, um, do you, yeah, they're the only people that did a good job, I guess. Did anyone else write something down besides Allison Hinnicky or Karen Shear? I can go get it out of our class, I guess, but someone's going to have to go teach those kids. That's true. What do you got? I know you have yours. You have Allison's? That's great. Share theirs. Plagiarism is really all we got going. you didn't hear that, I'm going to just mention a couple words that came up a couple times. One, a goal of glorifying God and glorifying Christ. Discussion of how we handle suffering and the ways that we can achieve that, the glorification of Christ through our suffering. And did I miss any other big concepts in there, Julie? Yeah, for the sake of the gospel. And so, in the beginning of chapter 1, the idea of being partners in the gospel, which we'll talk some about today. And then in chapter 4, the, the book is bookended again with that, that phrase about being partners in the gospel. Great. Anybody else have theirs, their summary from last week? Or someone else's? 
Drew, you got yours? Yeah. Uh, Philippians is a letter from Paul to a group of Christians in the middle of a trial similar to the one he's faced and is facing. His message to rejoice, maintain unity and fellowship, and live with humility like Jesus is earnest and sincere. He feels very close to these Christians who supported him financially and are now sharing in his same trials. Paul's encouragement and instruction to them to walk worthy of the gospel, press on to the upward call, and stand firm in the Lord, emphasize the best way to live for Christ is to live like Christ. All right, I love that last sentence. The best way to live for Christ is to live like Christ. So if you think about differences between what Drew read and what Julie read, Julie's is, in a way, or I guess that was Allison's, sorry. It was aspirational. It was written in a way that is uh, driving us towards an idea. Um, Drew's summary was a bit more of a summary. Like this is the, almost like a historical account of the book. Rejoice, be unified, closeness of Christians, and then the best way to to live like to to be like Christ is to live like Christ. That's not a criticism of either either one. It's rather saying they are written differently, and that is how you make the summary your own. And as I think about the summaries of the book, the goal of having a summary for each and every one of us isn't to to perfectly encapsulate what the book means. Um, and it's not a this one is right and this one is wrong. I mean, you could have one that's incorrect, but, but that's not the goal is not to like say, well, mine's right and yours is wrong. Yours is wrong. Instead, for each one of us, when you're writing a summary like this, I, I would liken it to a Christmas tree. So the summary is like the, the large body, like the Christmas tree when you, when you get it and you bring it home, that is the general form of the book. This is generally what the book looks like. And I can kind of have a rough understanding of it if, if this is all I have. But then, ideally, your summaries are written and thought about in a way that you can hang ornaments on it. That as you read the book, each of these concepts or ideas, as we delve into them more deeply, they can ornament your summary so that now you have a fuller, more in-depth, more vibrant picture of the book. So as you write your own summary, don't don't try to think, is mine right or is mine wrong? Instead, if you're going to say, hey, could I make this summary better? You should say, uh, are there like really big concepts that I can't, I can't fit anywhere into my summary? It doesn't make sense. Okay, well, then I should add a phrase. I should take a phrase out. I should think differently about this. And then ideally, when you're done studying the book, you have created a summary, hung all of this ornamentation on it, such that in a year or two years or five years, at minimum, you can remember the base of that summary and hopefully a little bit of that, that three-dimensional color ornamentation that you got from the book. It's creating a way for you to have memory about what the book is about. It's not to perfectly encapsulate and become a, a commentary writer uh, in that. So um, just one last comment on the summaries. Uh, if you haven't written yours down, I would encourage you to write it down. Uh, and one way you might think about doing that is uh, if your Bible is like lots of ours, you can kind of fit a half a sheet of paper in your Bible, um, fold, or like a whole sheet folded in half. Write your summary 
on a half a sheet of paper like that so that you can stick it in Philippians and close it. Ideally, write it with a little bit of space between it so that you can go back and put this ornamentation that we're talking about with different concepts as we study. And that way, over time, you'll have maybe in black have written all of your summary and then with a, perhaps a different color, you've added these ornaments or concepts through so that you're again building a visual image that you'll remember a lot better than if you just kind of <laughs> write something down on a sheet of paper and don't look at it again. That's a way you can keep using the summary as we study through the book. All right, this morning we're going to talk about verses 1 through 11 primarily. Uh, to get us started in that, I will read chapter 1 and then... We're going to have a goal to cover three concepts today uh, in chapter 1 and talk about those. From Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. I always pray with joy in my every prayer for all of you because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am sure of this very thing that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is right for me to think this about all of you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, all of you became partners in God's grace together with me. For God is my witness that I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love may abound even more and more in knowledge and every kind of insight, so that you can decide what is best and thus be sincere and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever, dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so from love because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely because they think that they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My confident hope is that I will no, in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or die. For to me, living is Christ and dying is gain. Now, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me. Yet, I don't know which I prefer. I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. 
But it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body. And since I am sure of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith. So that you can be proud, so that you can be proud of of my in, and may increase because of me in Christ Jesus when I come back to you. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or whether I remain absent, I should hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, by contending side by side for the faith of the gospel, and by not being intimidated in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, a sign which is from God. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for him, since you are encountering the same conflict that you saw me face, and now hear that I am facing. All right, so we're going to cover Philippians 1 through 11 in discussion in the class this morning. I mentioned that I think there's really three concepts that I want us to, to talk about. Um, we can't talk about everything. There's a good bit of threads you could pull here and go different places. So really, as I read through um, 1 through 11, there's, call it three big things that I want to understand more about. And so as a result, you get to talk about that too. All right, so first, in around verse 3, 4, 5, he talks about being partners in the gospel. And so I think... I think we should answer and discuss how were they partners in the gospel and then how can we be like them and be partners in the gospel also. Right? So that's the first thing we'll talk about. The second thing we're going to talk about is uh, just a little bit further in verse 6. For I am sure of this very thing that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it. So I want to, us to talk a little bit about what does it mean to be perfected um, how does that get addressed in the rest of the book? And how does that give us hope and faith? Okay? How, do, how are we going to be perfected uh, in the day of Christ as he talked about with them? And then the third thing we'll talk about, um, I see it as at the end of this section, 1 through 11, there's an equation. And since I'm a math nerd, I love equations. Um, so there's three things that get added together. Those three things are... Uh, I messed my, my notes up. They are love abounding, knowledge, and depending on what version you're reading, it may, you may have insight. A lot of us use the, or discernment. Um, a lot of us use ESV. Uh, in verse uh, ten, uh, 9, rather, uh, it says every kind of insight or discernment. So that's, that's an equation. You have love abounding, you have knowledge, and you have insight. He prays that they have all of those things. There's two results from those, two, from those things. One is uh, that you can be blameless. The other is that you're filled with the fruit of righteousness from Jesus Christ. So um, ideally at the end of class, with as much time as we have, we're going to talk about that equation, if you want to think about it that way, if you'll uh, let me do that. And what does it mean to have those three things and why... Why can't you kind of leave one out? Why are all three necessary? Love, knowledge, and discernment. You have to have all three to get, to get the, the gift of blamelessness and the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ. All right, so those, those are the things we're going to talk about this morning. Um, 
So the first one that I mentioned is understanding what it means to be partners in the gospel and then answering how can we be like that. So I want to give everybody a couple minutes um, to write down some thoughts you might have around in the book of Philippians, especially for them or related to the Philippians, how were they partners in the gospel with Paul? Um, You can look in every chapter and find examples of that. So hopefully our study over the last month will help you do that. I'm going to give you two minutes. You can jot down some notes here. If you have some time, you might want to go look at Acts 16. You could find your way or two there also, and then we'll talk. Two minutes. So, how were they, the Philippians, partners in the gospel with Paul, or you could say Paul and Timothy both for certain? Crystal? So, in verse 14, Crystal mentioned one that I didn't have in my notes. Good job, Crystal. Um, So, when Paul gets sent to prison, they don't let the work die. They take up the work and continue it. They become more bold in their speech and speaking for the Lord. Great. What else? Yeah, so in verse 19, they are praying for Paul. And we also know from earlier in this chapter 1, Paul says, I always pray with joy for all of you. So, so part, of, part of the partnership here is Paul is praying for their work. They are praying for Paul's work. Great. What else? Julie? Yeah, so in Acts 16, they had suffering. They suffered together with Paul. Uh, and then here, um, any, any passages in Philippians that reference suffering? What can you say, Bear? Yeah, so verse 29 references their suffering. And then also, I believe, maybe towards the end of chapter 2, there's some commentary about opponents as well. Uh, what else, what other ways did they partner in the gospel with Paul? Yeah, so they sent Epaphroditus. So in chapter 2 and 3, there's this discussion of Epaphroditus is with Paul. Paul is seeking to send Epaphroditus. But it made clear he's trying to, he wants to send him back to them. That, that they sent Epaphroditus to care for Paul as he was in prison. Some things went awry and actually Paul ended up caring for Epaphroditus in that, which is, I think, uh, perhaps a, an interesting way to understand that sort of partnership, is that they cared for one another. They sent someone uh, to go and care for Paul and his need and support him in that. And Epaphroditus took with him gifts uh, that we should, I think, understand to be monetary that would have provided for, for Paul's needs in different ways. Great. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so 
Um, and I think, so part of what James said is that they, they did these things without fear or timidity might be the way I would say it also. It, even though um, at minimum they know that Paul was put in prison in Philippi because of these things. Because essentially there's an uproar in the city. People get unhappy with, with what's being taught. And despite that, they are bold to speak after Paul is out of prison. And now Paul's in prison again, and they're emboldened further to speak, uh, uh, to speak about the gospel. Great. Mara? Yes, yeah, so there's mutual concern that goes from Paul to the Philippians. Um, and because of that, that's part of why they, he prays for them. That's why they pray for him. That's part of why Epaphroditus gets sent with their gift. All of this idea of concern, um, I think, is more than just, hmm, I wonder how things are going for Paul. I, I don't think that's concern. It wouldn't lead you to do these things if that was all concern was. Julie? Yes, so um, if you think about the back and forth, um, they are partners with Paul. So he's supporting them, they're supporting him. So, so Timothy gets sent from Paul to them, just like Epaphroditus had come from Philippi to Paul. Great observation. Any others? Did anybody go look at Acts 16? Did you look at Chip? You're going to make a different comment? Did anybody look at Acts 16 before I let Chip make his comment? All right, I'll come back to that. Chip? Mm. The gospel is from God, which I think is what leads to chapter 6 that we're going to talk about. He who started this work will perfect it. It's not going to be Paul. Yeah. It's going to be God. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I, I am using the, the phrasing of their partnership with Paul. Paul actually uses their phrasing of their partnership in the gospel. So I should improve my language. I'll try to do that. I probably won't be successful um, in this class at least. Um, but also kind of leading into what we'll talk about in a minute, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it in the day of Christ Jesus. The he there in verse 6, I don't believe is Paul. We're going to cover that in a minute. That is Christ that's going to complete the work uh, at the end and perfect it. Um, in Acts 16, there's at least one example. I think there's another one that's implied. But in Acts 16, verse 15, um, so just to set the stage as a reminder, Paul and Timothy were in Philippi. They were seeking somewhere to worship. And so normally they would go to a synagogue. Uh, in most cities in this region, there was frequently a synagogue. It took 10 men, 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. There's not one in Philippi. And so they go down to a river to pray. I think an interesting thing to consider is apparently this was a well-known or at least a moderately known concept because the place that they go is a place that there's other people that believe in Yahweh and are praying. They are Gentiles, but from all of our understanding, they are praying to Yahweh. And so 
I don't know if they had a billboard at their local coffee shop that they said, like, you know, we meet for prayer down by the river or, or what. But I, it's either providence or it is on purpose. I don't think it's just coincidence that Paul and Timothy ended up at the spot where Lydia and the others, especially women, were praying. Um, so that's the first, just to set the stage. Paul, they teach these people about, um, about Christ. They are baptized. And then in verse 15, Lydia offers her home to them as a way of helping to support them in their work. Um, and I love one of the phrases in the ESV. It says, she prevailed upon them. Like that's the idea of, hey, Sammy, do you want to come over? Sammy says, I don't know. I've, it's fine. And I say, no, like you come to my house. We're going to take care of you. We're going to feed you. And, and this is what's happening. It is prevailing upon them. It is essentially forcing Lydia's hospitality upon them and her support of their work. Um, and then, uh, I, don't, I don't think we actually mentioned chapter 4 in verse 15 of Philippians. I think there was, maybe you could say there's some discussion of it, but I don't think we actually outright talked about it. What's the, what's the partnership in 4 verse 15? It's financial support. And so we have this kind of like one-time example of Epaphroditus um, and being sent with a gift. But in, in 4.15, I think this is an ongoing concept of support. That even when no one else was supporting Paul, they supported Paul uh, to enable his work for the gospel. All right. So I think we should have a decent picture of what it looks like when they were partners in the gospel with Paul and Timothy. So how can we bring that to ourselves? How can we be partners in the gospel? In some way. In the same way. Care about and others and pray for others and send support and all those things. All right. So um, Alan has made an omnibus comment that covers all bases. We can do all the same things that they did. And then he, he listed quickly some of those things. I want to get really, really specific. So you're right. All, everything you said was right. I agree with it all. What are specific examples? David Lee. I like that you pointed out the comment of prevailing on. You know, I think, I know I'm guilty of this. It's just like, we make in an attempt to be too nice, ignore amazing opportunities to do amazing things for other people. And that's something I'll really try to be more conscious of, but to just be willing to just, I don't prevail upon somebody, just do what needs to be done. Make sure that the feeling of we are a family, if one of us is down, we are all down together and to, and to put in that extra effort to try to build everybody up. Whether that's physically or spiritually, um, just try, don't, not being too polite about being helpful. Yeah, that's great. So using the prevail upon concept from Acts 16, I think sometimes when we see needs in the brethren uh, or in those around us that aren't brethren, we may be tempted to say things like, Jerry, if you need something, give me a call. L let me know what you need and I'll be there to do the thing that you tell me to do. That is not the Lydia model of prevailing upon Jerry to help. Prevailing upon Jerry to help is to say, 
Jerry, I understand X happened. My belief is that means you have this need. I am providing for that need for you. Here, we the group provided for this need. That's prevailing upon. It is not, Belinda, if you need something, you give us a call, okay? You let us know. Prevailing upon others is essentially kindly forcing them to accept your hospitality, your love, and your care. That's what partnership in the gospel looks like. And that takes knowing that person to know they actually have that need. Yes. Yeah. Relationship enables knowledge. You can't assume that they're going to have that need. But you start with that to see if it actually is there and then you do it. Yes, but I would encourage us to be assumptive and provide for needs if we don't have as much a relationship as we think. Otherwise, we will delay providing for needs because I don't know someone well enough. The only thing Lydia knew about these men ostensibly in Acts 16 is that they were men who were teaching the gospel and that they were in town. <laughs> we, we don't know that she had any more knowledge than that. And from that, she inferred they probably could benefit from hospitality. And in that day and age, hospitality would have included not just come for lunch and then, you know, go back to wherever you're from. This is Lydia saying, come and stay with me and my household and I will provide for your needs. That is, that happened over a few hours. That relationship was not in depth. It was sufficient enough to provide for their needs. Great. What are some other examples of how we can take the model that we see from them and apply it to work that we can do to be partners in the gospel? Having boldness. Give us an example. Okay, so I like Sammy's comment partly because she's actually making reference to us really being partners in the gospel with Paul just like they were. Not necessarily how my partners with Barry, how my partners with the, the men that authored books like Philippians. I can teach with boldness just like it's discussed in this book, in this chapter, to have boldness and to speak about the gospel. What else? Drew, you, you got something brewing, I can tell. Oh, uh... <laughs> what was that? Did you get some frog in your throat? No, that wasn't even frog. I don't know what that was. Um, we kind of spent like 45 minutes just a couple Sundays ago um, talking about this. Yes. And put together these notes of encouragement to send them, which you and I talked about. Like, that's doing this in a very big way and we're going to take an hour and all of us are going to write cards and send it and that's great in a one-off big way but I think this is an important thing for us to understand like how do we do that in a small way and how do we do that in a non-gigantic effort but just in small little ways to show up for them. Yes so I'm glad that Drew mentioned this uh, I know he was slow to make the comment because he feels like he's talking about something he did, which I know Drew's shy about in, in this way. Um, but a couple Sundays ago, when we read the reports of, the, of men that we support, we prayed about them specifically, and then we wrote notes to them that Drew has scanned in and sent to them, right? That is a way that we are taking partners, we are being partners with them, not only in prayer, but also sharing with them care, concern, and love in ways that they can read and reread and reread 
which I am certain that they have done. Um, I'll, I'll give you, Callie, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Willie's preaching at five congregations covering like a thousand kilometers a week or something. Uh, we can we can probably like do ten percent of that, right? That's and still be bold, right? Doing less than that is still is still bold. Um, I, I think one that, that we have not talked about, but I think we should really really think about as a congregation is the way that the biggest way. The, the biggest way that they showed their love from Paul, when I say biggest, I mean like most difficult, required effort, planning, time, and a man, they sent Epaphroditus. When they wanted to encourage and be a partner in the gospel, they sent a human to help. And when Paul wanted to encourage them and to care for them and to show them love, what did he do? He sent a person. He sent letters. We know at least two because of this one and the one that he references that he sent before. But encouragement and partnership in the gospel from both directions here was sending someone back and forth. This can be sometimes uncomfortable to talk about, but I'll just tell you as a congregation, this is not what we do. It's, it's not what we've done yet. We've supported Willie for almost 10 years and no one has gone to Zimbabwe. It's hard to get to Zimbabwe. I, I, I have friends that have gone there. It is expensive. It takes time and it takes money. But I think as a group, we should consider that in the model that we have in Philippians, when mutual encouragement, support, and partnership was something that was happening, men were sent back and forth. Anything else? I'll also just say, I think sometimes we can look at this partnership and we look at the big things. So as, as Drew mentioned, I, I told him in an email that I thought it was great that we did that in the congregation, but that was like a big effort. We can't do that necessarily every week or maybe even every month. It's a big effort. It takes a lot of coordination and a lot of effort. So how do we do that, but then also continually support evangelism in tiny ways? I'll give you an example of what a tiny way looks like. Barry, where do you do most of your studies that honor your house? Physically, geographically, where do you do most of your studies that aren't in your home? Oh, that aren't in your home? Yeah. Well, it could be a coffee shop, sometimes it's home. Yeah. Coffee shop, Barry has talked about over and over that he goes to Panera. Every Panera in Nashville is a frequent flyer for Barry Kirchival. <laughs> if you want to help support Barry, Give him a gift card, a $10 gift card to Panera. Because ostensibly, he probably buys at least a coffee when he's there so that Panera's not like, this guy again. <laughs> right? That's a tiny way that you can support an evangelist and help them in their work. Because otherwise, Barry pays for every one of those coffees himself or every one of those pastries or whatever it is. You can help with $10 or $5. Don't don't think about boldness and support as huge, as big, as, as it has to be splashy. Boldness and support of the gospel is prayer. It is sending a note. It is sending an email. It is being bold in your speech. 
It is something as simple as providing for an evangelist to have a place to have that conversation. All right, we've spent more time here than I intended to. Um, Number two, I said we were going to talk about what does it mean to be completed at the day of Christ? So that's in verse 6. I'll read that again. For I am sure of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it. The net version says perfect. Other versions say complete as well. Perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So there's a beginning to the work, and then there's a, a future completion. All right? So I want us to talk a little bit about what that uh, could mean. Uh, let's take just a couple seconds and write down your thoughts. Um, there are references in the rest of chapter 1, uh, some 2, and chapter 3 that I think you could use to talk about this as well. Um, but I'll, I'll give you guys 30 seconds to, to jot down a couple notes, um, and we'll talk about it some more. All right, so this idea of completion or perfection, I think can be a little difficult to wrap our minds around. Um, An example of that, was Jesus perfect? When was Jesus perfect? Always perfect. But what? I think Barry knows where I'm driving. What do we know from Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 2. Christ was perfected in suffering when he learned obedience. So first off, do you actually think that Christ had to learn obedience? Was he imperfect before that time? If he was perfected in it, does that mean he was imperfect before it? That's a really difficult conversation, right? But I think that's because we always use the term perfect to imply complete knowledge, complete background, complete, everything is complete. There is everything. There's no more. Yeah, there's no more. The idea of perfection or being perfected as Christ was is the idea that there is more to come. That Christ as our high priest, as our intercessor, if he did not suffer pain, if, if he did not have to learn obedience in that the father put him down this path. He could have rejected the path. Well, until he accepts pain, it's not a sacrifice if, he, if there's no pain. He, he has to be able to intercede for us with the father. So he needs to understand the pain that we go through that sin can create and what not sinning creates the pain in us. So, so Christ had to be able to say that he had, he's done all those things. That is the perfection or the completion of Christ. Uh, and so here, when we talk about he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it on the day of Christ Jesus, how do we, how do we reconcile that? What does that mean to you? Chapter 2 talks about completing his joy and living a life worthy of the gospel by being of one mind. 
Yes. So, Crystal references um, the discussion in chapter 2 of being of one mind. You're going to complete Paul's joy by being of one mind and being obedient. Um, in 2.27, I think this idea is continued. By the way, this was in my notes. It is right there. She just didn't know. Um, 2 verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So, again, with this idea of Christ's perfection, there's something for us to wrestle with in that. If you have to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, can you do that? Do you have the ability to live life well enough to be worthy of the gospel? You, no, everyone shake their head no. You can't earn it, but Paul tells us to. So, like, what does that mean? That, that we're supposed to live in a way that we can be worthy of the gospel. It's not that we're perfect. It's that we're always attaining and you have and you're known by it. Okay, so you're known by it. I think another way we can think about this is we cannot live perfectly to provide for our own path to the gospel. We can't do it. In verse 1, verse 6, it says Christ completes that for us. That, that we live as we can, and then Christ, in the day of what I would say resurrection is, we are then completed by him. And if you, if you want to wonder what, what was that, what that looked like, you can look at chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 21 tells us that, that he's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. So part of Christ, part of our being perfected in that day is that we are changed. We're, we are changed into something that can be in heaven with him. If you want to understand and be more confused on this topic, about a month ago, Barry preached a sermon about um, our heavenly body and what we'll be transformed into. I simultaneously understand that more and understood less at the end of that. So I'm not going to tell you that that sermon's going to solve all your questions. But, but I think it's important for us to realize we talk about sometimes that like once you're baptized, that doesn't mean you're saved. Like we, we are so opposed to once saved, always saved sort of discussions that that can, that can lead us to talk a lot about that as opposed to understanding and talking more about, like here, one, Christ began a work in us. At our baptism at minimum, I think you could also say back to before that, when we began hearing and understanding the word, Christ begins to change us. We are baptized. He begins this work in us, and then eventually he will perfect it. That's because... All through that journey, from here to heaven, we are dependent on Christ and God to transform us into something that can be worthy of eternity. He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I think that's the idea here of how we're being perfected in the last days. Um, we did not talk about the equation at the end because I got too excited about the first point. What you say? All right, we'll talk about that next week. Alan said we will, um, and we'll do what he says. Uh, thank you all for your comments, uh, and we will continue chapter one next week.